And those of you that uh, have been worshiping with us uh, this year, you know that we've been talking about the concept of the year of transformation. And we pointed out to you that uh, these processes that he uses to transform us are all instantaneous as well as progressive. He does something amazing at the start, and he continues this throughout his work in our lives until he concludes and brings all things to fruition when he returns. And we talked about the process of salvation and justification and adoption. We'll be talking about sanctification, impartation, and glorification. But today I want to talk to you about this process of redemption. And remember that transformation means to change from one form to another. And at the outset, I just want to frame this message by telling you today that redemption, your redemption through Christ, gives you permission to change and it gives you the power to change. Say it, I have the permission to change and I have the power to change. So I want to start over in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. In verse 15, the scripture says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now what we're talking about here is spiritual death that includes physical death that also includes the second death, which is eternal punishment. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, 15, we see the Lord's response to this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He'll crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Immediately through the providence of God, you see God's plan of redemption released right after the fall of man. Turn to somebody and tell them that means God loves you a whole bunch. We know that there was a curse now. The enemy was cursed. We know also, according to what the Scripture says, God would increase the pains of childbirth. There was a, a function of curse upon the earth. We know because God told Adam that you're going to, with toil and sorrow, you're going to produce the fruit of the earth. Everything before that point in time was perfect. There was no issue with food. There was no issue with pain. There was no issue with war. There was no issue with sin. On that day, man literally was born again, but the wrong way. He was born from life to death. In Deuteronomy 28, 15, we begin to see that there's a consequence for walking with God and a consequence for not walking with God. It says, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. The curse basically is, is, is threefold in terms of understanding this. And you can't really appreciate redemption if you don't understand how severe the curse is. You can't fully appreciate what Christ did for you unless you know just how bad this thing actually has been and is for those to this day that don't serve Him. The first aspect of the curse is spiritual death. It includes separation from God. It includes literal physical death, and it includes literal separation for all eternity, the lake of fire, the second death as Scripture calls it. So the curse of spiritual death, separation from God, physical death, and eternal death or the second death. The second aspect of the curse, as you review Deuteronomy 28, you would find these curses yourself, these categories of the curse yourself. You'll find that sickness and disease are part of the curse. 
If you sat under religious teaching that told you that sickness and, and, and disease were a blessing from God to teach you something, you were taught incorrectly. It's under the curse and it never has been God's will and it never will be God's will. You can never say that something that is under the curse is God's will. He didn't produce this situation. But he had a remedy for it, didn't he, church? The third aspect is simply this. When you're under the curse, it's poverty and lack. When you understand that it's spiritual death, that it's sickness and disease, and it's poverty and lack, you begin to understand that it touches every element of a human being's life. When the curse hit, it affected everything that involves us as people, as human beings. That must mean that if God's going to redeem us, He plans on addressing every area that's affected us. What is redemption? A fancy theological term or a powerful truth that can transform you today? It's a transforming truth. Redemption is the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. It is the action of regaining or gaining possession in exchange of payments or of clearing a debt. The question is, what could possibly wipe out our debt? What could possibly deal with this thing called the curse? Well, in Ephesians 1.7, we find that out. It says, in Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. What could transform us? What could take us back from the curse to the blessing? It is the blood. Shout out, I'm thankful for the blood. Colossians chapter 1 says something similar in verse 13. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to understand, first of all today, just how high the price is or the cost is for your redemption. God paid the highest price. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. It's a costly price. I want you to understand also that what he did was in the fullness and applying this to every area of your life. It was a full salvation. It applies to every area of your life. Say it with me. It is a full redemption. It covers everything. A wonderful verse in Psalm 130 verse 7. It says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for it is with the Lord's unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Why? Because He loves you. Come on, say that with me. He loves me, and He has full redemption for me. Say it with me, body, soul, and spirit. Say it one more time. Full redemption. Body, soul, and spirit. We also know it's an eternal redemption. In Hebrews 9.12, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hallelujah. When God fixes you, he's going to fix you. Yes. And that's going to take it, isn't it, church? I love this concept. It's illustrated way back in the, in the Old Testament scriptures. In Exodus 6.6, 6, it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, 
I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I want you to see this. The redemption is spiritual, it's natural, and it's also material. These are the same people that were led out of Egypt. God redeemed them and the Bible says that none of them faltered. And they came out laden with silver and gold. You know the story of God's provision for them, how He provided manna from heaven, how He provided meat, how even their shoes did not wear out. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. If God, through the covenant atonement of animals, can do this for His people, how much more can Jesus do for you through His own blood sacrifice for you and for me? It's not a less redemption, it's a greater redemption. When we talk about redemption, sometimes we'll use the phrase, Classic redemption to explain just how important this, this concept is to you as a child of God. In Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole or a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Say that with me, Christ, Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law, having become a curse. The purpose of redemption is to remove the curse permanently from your life and restore the blessing back to your life. Where it was severe, the grace of God is so much greater. You're redeemed. Today, if you're a child of God, from spiritual death, you will forever be connected with your Heavenly Father. Though that body of yours will be raptured or will decay in death, you will be raised from the dead. And you will not be suffering eternal punishment in a lake of fire, but eternal bliss and joy with your Heavenly Father in His kingdom. That's what He did through the cross. That's what He did with His blood. He has redeemed you from that spiritual death. Number two, He's redeemed you from sickness and disease. He provides for you divine healing and health. He desires, desires for you to live out your days and accomplish His will in this earth and do the things He's called you to do. Some folks say, well, you know what? I don't believe that He cares about that at all. He just cares about us being spiritually alive and one day going to be with Him. I want you to understand this. If, in fact, if you don't believe, if healing is not in the atonement, then there's no resurrection of the believer. But there is a resurrection of the believer. There is healing for the believer. Isaiah 53 says he carried our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and by his stripes we were healed. Matthew, say Matthew three times. I think Matthew knows better than the YouTubers do. I think Matthew knows better than the Facebookers do. I know, I believe that Matthew knows more than the armchair, you know, theologians know. I think that Matthew knows more than doubt, fear, and unbelief mongers. And Matthew, say it again, Matthew. Matthew tells us what Isaiah meant. When he said, after many were healed and Peter's mother-in-law was healed and many demons were driven out, it says, this happened to what? To fulfill what Isaiah said. He carried our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. I'm going with Matthew on this one. Yes, spiritually, you're made alive. But you also have 
the redemption from the curse that made people sick and diseased. And don't you ever give up on the reality of redemption in your life. That he's a savior, he's a forgiver, but he's also a healer. Say it, I'm redeemed from spiritual death. Say it, I'm redeemed from sickness and disease. The third, you're redeemed from lack and poverty. There's a little nugget there that Todd gave you that should explode on the inside of you. It's not pride to ask God bid. It's actually humility. And I'll tell you why. Because when you ask big, many people are concerned about what they'll think about you. That's pride. But in reality, asking him to bless you and increase you and move in your life is actually coming under his word, which is the very definition of humility. There was no lack in poverty before sin. And for the child of God, he endures and he has provided and he wants you to have his abundance and his increase. But it's all about what you actually receive and actually what you understand from the scriptures that his redemption is about every part of you. Amen. Amen. Every part of you. Say it with my mind, my will, my emotions, my spirit, my body, everything. He didn't redeem just part of you. So it's not pride for you and arrogance to say, I want to live in heaven forever. It's not pride and arrogance for you to say, God, I want you to heal me so I can continue my path on this earth. And it's not arrogance to say, God, I want you to provide for the needs of my family and for those that I need to bless in Jesus' name. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. Say that I am blessed to be a blessing. And all of these things are dimensions of the blessing that is restored by Jesus redeeming us on the cross. Amen. Now you're spiritually sound. You're right with God. Amen. Here's the truth. You're not going to hell. The modern preachers out there telling people there's no such thing as hell. It was an invention of man. No, it was an invention of the God man. Jesus is the one that preached the doctrine of hell. And it's very, very real. Instead of trying to tell people there's no hell, how about preparing people so they don't have to go there? I read a story of a farmer, I think it was in Iowa, and the family farm had been farmed for generations. His great-grandfather farmed, his grandfather farmed, his dad farmed, and now it was his responsibility, and things weren't going well. Sometimes that happens in a family farm. Many of those have been gobbled up through the years by big corporate farming industries, and he was losing everything. And they had ascribed, you know, an auction and a certain auction date. And he sat there with his family, his wife in tears, his kids not knowing what's going to come next as they began to auction off every single piece of that farm and every asset he had. He watched how the house was auctioned off with the land around it. He, he watched as the land he was farming is auctioned off. He watched as his, his big combines and implements, one by one, were, were auctioned off. He watched as his seed grain, you know, that he would use to plant in the next harvest season, be auctioned off. Everything basically on that property was auctioned off. What he didn't know was 
That family had a reputation in that community for being benevolent and good and kind to people for generations. What they did know is the members of the community got together and decided what they were going to do is they were going to buy everything at that auction. And one by one, they began to come up to the man and say, you know what? Here's the deed for the house. Here's the deed for the land. Here's the deed for the combine. Here's the deed for the tractor. Here's the thing for the seed. You know, it would be ridiculous and dishonorable for him to do what? To say, I don't want this after everything they had done to redeem or buy back what was theirs. It's the same thing with us. How dare we not take everything that blood was shed to give us? How dare we not take the forgiveness? Amen. And how dare we not give forgiveness? How dare we not believe Him for healing? How dare we not believe Him for provision after everything He did? Far more than a house and a land and a combine. You and I were not bought with common things like gold and silver with the precious blood of the Lamb. Look at somebody and say, I'm going to receive it all in Jesus' name. In John chapter 19, Jesus makes the most outstanding statement on the cross. In verse 28, it says, Later, knowing that everything had been now finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they, you know, soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and filled and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. Say that with me, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. If you've been in the church any length of time, you have heard the phrase, it is finished, is actually the Greek word telestai. The question is, what does that mean to you and to me? Well, both in Biblical Greek and in Koine Greek and in the language of commerce, there are several ways this can be described. It can be, first of all, described as a business term. In other words, the debt has been fully paid. It is finished. The debt has been fully paid. It can be described as a legal term where the sentence that was meted out has been fully served. The sentence has been fully served. It can be described as a military term where the battle has been fully won. It can be described as an employment term where the project assigned to a person has been fully completed. And it can be described as a theological term where the scripture is fully fulfilled. Why would we celebrate and be so excited on Easter Sunday? Because it reminds all of us that Jesus paid the bill in full. Jesus took our sins and paid for it in full. Are you here today, church? Jesus took on the devil's best, amen, and hell in the grave, and he fully won the battle and the war. He took his assignment from his father and fulfilled it to the T. He has gotten the job done. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus, Jesus got the job done. And theologically, he fulfilled the scripture, which means today that redemption is complete. And ongoing in our lives as we trust him. I'm thankful for a savior like that. The only thing sometimes that confuses me is why people would preach against redemption, limit redemption, confuse people about redemption. 
We want to be, let's look like that farmer. Oh my goodness, look what God has done. I got the farm back, got the house back, got the combine back. Oh, what, what good and gracious people. Listen, these people are nothing compared to your God who gave everything for you and for me. The question is, how do you personally, you know, embrace and walk in that redemption? Well, first of all, you've got to conceive it. Say, I got to conceive it. All that simply means is you've got to develop a mental model or image of something that may not be presently the case. And if you were raised hearing teaching against this or you never had teaching about revelation on redemption, your whole mindset has to go from this, I'm, I'm saved and going to heaven, to I'm saved and I'm going to lay hold of every part of that redemption. In other words, expectation comes into your heart for everything He has done. If you're sick today, begin to expect to be healed. If you're broke as you can possibly be, begin to expect that He's going to provide for you. That He has the ability to give you open doors. Begin to expect that the blessing and the fullness of that blessing is going to operate in your life. You have gone from curse, being empowered to fail, to being blessed, being empowered to succeed. You need to begin to have a mental model that says, I'm not a failure going somewhere to happen. I am in Jesus Christ in His name and through His blood a success in this life because of His empowerment. That mental model has to change. You have to conceive something that's consistent with Scripture, not with your thoughts, not with religion, not with what they say, but what the Word of God actually teaches. Redemption involves every dimension of man. When He saved you, He saved your mind. Some of you are thinking, and I need some saving in my mind, hallelujah. Some of you need to know He saved your emotions, and you know you need that. He saved you in your body, in your will, in your spirit. He did 100% work in your life. Not partially redeemed, not a little bit redeemed, but completely redeemed. Come on, shout out, I am redeemed. I am redeemed. You were bought back with a price. Number two, you must believe. You've got to believe what the Word says He did for you. You must believe in every part of your redemption. You must believe for forgiveness. You must believe you know, for righteousness. You must believe what the Word says about these things. You must believe that by His stripes you were healed. You must believe that what? The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and He has no sorrow to it. You must believe that He is a provider. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You can hear these things, but it's different to hear them and even have a mental model of what could be that's different from actually believing what God said you could have. He didn't die in vain. He didn't rise from the dead in vain. The resurrection is proof that your redemption took. Turn this to mind and say, God's plan worked. Hallelujah. You've got to conceive that mental image, that model. You've got to believe what the Bible says about that, and you have to receive what He has given you, number three, which means to take it with your faith, which means to take it with your words, to grow daily in your redemption, to refuse to settle for anything less than what He has promised you. Not part of it, all of it. Redemption is instant and it's progressive. Keep pressing for all the blood that was shed to give you is, is an honorable thing. When you honor that enough to say, I'm going to believe God for this. I'm going to press in for this. The Bible says in Psalm 103, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. It means you talk saved. Yes. You talk righteousness. 
You talk healing. You talk restoration. You talk divine health. You talk provision. You talk like a person who is being provided for by Almighty God. Redeemed people talk different than religious people. Come on, say it. I'm, a, I'm redeemed. I don't sound like that dead religion. I don't talk like that. I don't think like that. My mental model, my faith, and my mouth are all in agreement. He redeemed me, body, soul, and spirit. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. Resurrection tells us that the redemption is, in fact, in motion, is completed in Him and progressive. The resurrection tells us that you are no longer viewed as a sinner saved by grace, but you are seen as a saint of God. You are forgiven. Say it, I am forgiven. Everything He died to give you, embrace fully. And as, as simply and as boldly and as clearly as I am telling you that your eternity in God is in redemption, your physical restoration is part of that redemption, your financial provision and material provision is part of that redemption, there are voices in this world screaming and clamoring, doing everything they can to undercut what God has said in His Word. You need to make sure you're listening to voices that affirm and empower your redemption, not try to strip you from that redemption. And they're out there. Talk about good news. Come on, shout it out. I'm redeemed. Body. Soul and spirit. I've been redeemed from spiritual death. I've been redeemed from sickness and disease. I've been redeemed from poverty and lack. So how do I tap into all that he has? You continue to conceive it. You continue to believe it. You continue to what? Receive it. You should be thinking differently and you should be speaking differently. Amen. The problem with such a great redemption is that you have a society today and a culture today that is completely confused about how someone is saved. Can someone be saved? What's the pathway to salvation? You know, the Bible still says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. There's a reason for it. There's only one that redeemed you. There's only one that rose from the dead. There's only one that's qualified. Scripture says there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. John put it this way. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Brother Hagin put it this way. Man is lost today not because of what he does, but because of what he is. What he does is a result of what he is. Man needs life from God because he is spiritually dead. 
And here's the deal today. If you're wondering, well, maybe there's something else out there, listen to me carefully. There's no other Redeemer coming. There is no other redemption coming. This is it. It's a wonderful redemption. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a decision you make to embrace this Redeemer. I think about, you know, Job and the transition that he went through in overcoming the difficulties and challenging situations. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives. What's staggering about that is Job being the oldest of those manuscripts that are available to us. What's staggering is that Job had a revelation that no matter what he went through, God would redeem it and turn it around. And what he did for Job, he can do for you too. But you have to have that confession alive in your heart that Jesus is your Lord, that you accept that redemption. Turn us to mind and tell him, there is no other Redeemer coming. Tell somebody else, there's no redemption coming outside of Christ. So as you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, it truly is a wonderful day to make peace with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. I've been impressed by the Spirit of God to, to emphasize this, this truth, and I'll say it again. There's no other Redeemer coming. This is it. In the days of Noah, there wasn't a second boat. There wasn't an alternative ark. There was one. So as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you're here today and you know that God has been talking to you and speaking to you that you need to embrace the one that did so much for you. Not through religion or how you look to other people because you know that right now if you died, you don't have the confidence of eternal life. You're in a position where you think and you blow in your heart that there's anything but life and victory and joy and peace in you. He loves you today and He wants you. That redemption was for you. If you'll take it. But understand this, if you won't take it, there won't be another one coming down the pipe. You hear it and say, Pastor, I just need on this Easter Sunday, I need to make sure that everything's right with me and the Lord. And I don't always feel that peace. Lift your hand right now and say, today, I'm making my life right with Him. I'm giving it back to Him. Maybe you've never given your life to Him. Lift it up high without shame, without reservation to the one that hung naked on a cross for you and for me. I'm giving my life to Him. I'm giving my life back to Christ. He's the only Redeemer that I have. Thank you, my Father. We praise you, Lord. We lift you up on high. And we thank you for it, Lord. 
the people here today and you say, well, you know, I just don't deserve anything that he did. Well, none of us deserve what he did for us. But there's no reason for you to walk out of here in a place where you're not at peace with God. It's his will that none perish. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's all do that together in concert. Pray this to me, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize your redemption is a process of helping me see the blessing restored in every area of my life. But it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the Redeemer. Lord, you shed your blood for me. So I ask you today, forgive me. I repent of my sins. I ask you today, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I believe today that you died on the cross that our Heavenly Father raised you from the dead in all majesty and all power and all glory. And I boldly say today, I boldly say today, Jesus is my Lord. And that confession is made unto salvation. I receive the Redeemer. I receive His redemption in every area of my life. I'm the redeemed, so I say so. I am saved. I am healed. I am increased. I am redeemed. Shout out, I am redeemed. I'm the redeemed, and I say so in Jesus' name. Come on, give him a big hand clap and thank him for that.